Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we've invited our resident threat intel guru, Drew McFarlane, to come back for an April Fool's update on threat evasion methods and technologies. Um, thank you for joining us again here, Drew. Thank you very much for uh, having me on. Well, we uh, we have you on quite frequently, it seems like uh, these days, and I know you and I have been talking about some future things happening on the threat intel front. But um, today, since you and I typically run out of time, let's just dive right in. And I'd like to start with just talking about the common evasion methods and techniques that we're seeing employed today. What are the, the top of mind things we're seeing right now? Well, the thing that, that's, um, that's you know, really sort of front and center in my mind you know, has to do a lot with what we're seeing today in, in the news. And that's uh, you know, with the Ukraine uh, circumstance. You get a lot of people. There's a there's a really big uptick in terms of uh, of fraud. There's a lot of people who are are using uh, lookalike domains and you know basically trying to obfuscate who they are by by manipulating the emails or ma- manipulating the websites, etc., to try and impersonate trusted uh, trusted people. So you know, again, when you really get back down to it, a lot of the major problem that you end up having with security is inherent trust. What do you trust? Yeah, we were talking uh, the other day about, you know, while it's not necessarily a cybersecurity problem, about how the deep fakes, um, you know, have even come into play where there was a t- deep fake video that was supposedly Yelinsky telling his troops, we've lost, throw down your weapons and surrender. Um, so, yeah, the whole invasion and, and impersonation concept, um, it continues to just get more complex. Now, the other thing we've seen a lot is a real step up of, of nation state cyber attacks. And yet they still seem to be using a lot of the same old vulnerabilities that everybody's had. It's just people aren't patching. I remember, um, you know, a number of of exploits that came out and the warnings came out. And a week later, we were still seeing people compromise because they weren't patching. Yeah. Yeah. You end up, I mean, like uh, when you think about nation state actors, uh, you know, like the first thing that comes to mind are these zero days. And and for better or for worse, you know, you don't see those all that often. And the reason why is... Those are usually some things that you want to keep in your arsenal. You want to hold them back for that unique circumstance. And you know, if you find one, you don't want other people finding out about it. So if these traditional attacks, you know, these things that have been kicking around still work because people aren't patched, you just keep on using the stuff that's working until it stops working. And then you move on to the, you know, onto what's inside your arsenal that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, lets you get in beyond that. So, yeah, it's like as long as it's, it continues to work, people are, you know, the nation states and the other actors are going to continue working on using those things. Well, and, you know, when you think of vulnerabilities, originally the the thing that people were, you know, the, the thing that criminals were attacking was the browser. They were always looking for vulnerabilities in the browser. And I remember, of course, Windows being the most popular platform, the the Windows Internet Explorer was the thing that everybody was finding. And so everybody says, oh, Microsoft writes lousy code. They got vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities are in everything. And it's just that you're going to hear about the ones that are in the popular platforms because that's the ones the bad guys are looking for vulnerabilities in. And right now we're seeing, you know, while, you know, we can talk about Log4j and, and all of these other uh, vulnerabilities in other kinds of systems and pieces of the infrastructure, but it's come full circle back to the browser because we have fake humanitarian relief sites. We have, um, you know, basically the waterhole attack concept where people are looking for legitimate sites that have been compromised and malicious codes on them or fake websites pretending to be legitimate sites, all of which look for exposures in your browser. And, um, 
you know, that's something that I, I was really surprised. Uh, Google released a whole bunch of updates and then actually did an announcement that they get heartbeat feedback and less than 50% of the people had updated their browser a week after the patch was available. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, ultimately, I mean, no matter how, uh, you know, you know how on top of things the the software manufacturers are and patching their stuff and making sure that you know all their software is hardened. The weakest link is always going to end up being the user, uh, and that's true from a standpoint of do they actually you know, update their software? Are they pushing out the patches? Are they are they keeping on top of things? Uh, and even when all that stuff is normalized, you know it's still not going to protect them from responding to a real looking uh, you know solicitation that they get by email and you know, just. If, if as long as, as somebody is uh, is capable of going ahead and interacting with a bad guy when they end up getting an email, you know we're going to continue having this problem. And doesn't matter how locked down things are, that that user interaction ends up always being the weakest link. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more, I'm sure, about emails and and lookalikes and those kinds of things. But uh, you'd mentioned something the other day. Um, I can't remember if it was in a blog or on a webinar, but you were talking about typo squatting. Now, typo squatting was something that was oh, it was big news. It was new and it was it was the cool thing, and everybody was doing it about 20 years ago, and then yeah. it kind of died off, and you didn't hear a lot about the typo squatting issue, but. Uh, why don't you uh, kind of go over what that is and how we're seeing it really come back to the, right now? Yeah. So uh, a little bit of groundwork. Uh, we have a capability inside of our product called uh, lookalike detection. Uh, and basically, it's looking for domains that are trying to impersonate one way or the other, you know, uh, a known trusted entity. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You know, there's a traditional lookalike that we, we detect. And in that circumstance, if you're looking for, say, apple.com, you're looking for somebody who's trying to imitate Apple, uh, it may be adding a word or two to the end of that like, Apple accounts receivable that looks like an Apple property. It's not. So that's one. Another thing is you know, what they call a homograph or the homoglyph where you're you're kind of substituting a, a character for something that looks like the same thing. So once you introduce, say, the acrylic alphabet inside of the uh, inside of the URL, you can replace um, you know, you can replace certain characters and, and visually they'll look identical. Uh, but the reality is, is that they are going to two different places. So you think that you're you're going to Apple, but you don't realize that that L is now a, a number one or, or something along those lines. Now, typo squatting is a, uh, a different beast altogether. And really what that is, is it's taking advantage of common misspellings, either, you know, either uh, a, a genuine misspelling. In other words, I, I don't know how to spell this word or there's a common, you know, like for a long time, Google had that problem because Google wasn't a word that everybody knew. So people would pretty you know, spell it with one O or two O's or whatever. And so if you can reserve a common misspelling, uh, you end up getting a lot of people who are going in, they're launching and they think that they're interacting with the, the place that they even type the URL in, uh, but they're actually interacting with a, uh, with another vendor. Now, uh, another variant on typo squatting is, you know, is, you know, basically trying to take advantage of fat fingering. So you think of when you're typing, there are a row of, of, uh, of letters around the character that you meant to hit. And, uh, and you can reserve different variations on, you know, I meant to hit the O and I accidentally hit the I and didn't really pay too much attention. And they'll go ahead and they'll reserve uh, G-I-O, you know, G-L-E.com. And, uh, you know, although it's not really designed to look like it's Google, you know, they're certainly taking advantage of the fact that you know, 
that's something that you typed in and you're expecting to get to where you where you thought the URL that you actually thought that you were interacting with. So we go in and we look for a lot of the common misspellings and look for a lot of the common fat fingering uh, you know, styles of that domain uh, <laughs> when we're when we're looking to uh, protect a lot of the more more common, more uh, popular domains out there. Yeah, I remember uh, Disney was one of the biggest victims, again, like 20 years ago, um, because people would type in, you know, they Google for Disney or something like that. And they would set up these fake websites. So not only did you get to it if you fat fingered it, but if you fat figured the Google search, Google would actually serve it to you because they would also play with the the Google algorithm to make sure they showed up on the top 10 yeah. or... Um, uh, you know, along the lines of maladvertising, they would actually pay to be one of the advertised links in the top and nobody would know. Um, yeah. Now, Google even then did some uh, due diligence. They would check it out and say, yeah, this looks like, you know, a real Disney site. But they also weren't paying that much attention um, to the fact that, you know, uh, the E and the N were backwards because it was actually trying to deal with a fat finger scenario that you said. But um they would check the site out and scan it um, and make sure that it didn't have any viruses or anything on it. The bad guys would set them up and make them look legitimate, wait until it got approval, and then flip it, um, which kind of takes us to, uh, I mentioned malvertising. Let's talk about that. That's the other thing we're seeing a lot of is where they'll do a fake advertisement pretending to be a company that they aren't. And when you click on it, you think you're on that site. Um we saw that uh, a year ago when the new NVIDIA cards came out, a lot of fake stores went up to uh, offer to sell NVIDIA cards. And yeah, just give me your credit card number. You know, yeah. people were handing it over. Um, but, uh, you know, we and they would put those ads on legitimate sites. So you'd go to a legitimate site. You'd see the legitimate ad on the side because they paid for it. They have a, a fake PR company sometimes and all that. Um, and so they show up in fake identities. That's the kind of the bottom line is the fake identity is what the user needs to be aware of. Um, but it's not going to catch them just when they type it wrong. They'll try to mislead them by the way it looks. Um, and uh, then they can even hide the links uh, and just do it in the background. So you don't even know it, which is that browser exploit, uh, yeah. which we talked about. So lots of things for, for the users to, uh, to kind of have to deal with here. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that, and you sort of touched on this and what you're talking about, um, you know, whenever, you know, when you're one of these bad actors, it's always this balance between, you know, what's giving you the best bang for the buck. And, uh, and you know, there's a, there's a diminishing return on, a, uh, on investment, so to speak, when you're doing certain things. So, you know, they will more and more as things get a little bit more complicated to, to compromise different users they'll start introducing things like they'll uh, they'll have a website, they'll let it be legitimate for a while uh, so that it doesn't set off any flags. And then they'll go ahead and they'll they'll uh, weaponize it a little bit later on. And that way it'll get past certain certain checks. Like you know, when, a, when a website you know, is first introduced, right, right there in and of itself, it's going to be a little, on a little bit of a skeptical list. But if it can sit around for six months, 12 months before it actually gets weaponized, uh, it will have built up a degree of, of reputation. Now, depending on on the type of attack that you're trying to institute, you know, you may not have the patience for that, or or you know, having you know, basically running a site so that it is benign for an entire year takes a really high degree of uh, um, of rigor and, and a commitment to to getting that through. So they've got to have a real uh, a real 
big justification for being able to do that. Most of the adversaries out there are, let's go in there, let's, let's get what we can, let's move on. And you know, all these domains are kind of burner domains. They're not expecting to have them or own them for very long. You know, when you see a domain that that kicks around for you know three, four months or six months before it actually gets weaponized, you know, there's something very specific that they're trying to do there. And that should be a very big red flag that they had that kind of uh, that kind of tenacity to you know, you know, outlive the you know, a lot of the normal defenses. Uh, before they actually went ahead and uh, and kicked that in, so that it would be detectable. Well, and I, you know, you and I had this agenda where we were going to talk about it from the user perspective, then technology. We're kind of mixing that up, but that's okay. Because um, a natural again segue to what you're talking about. There's different ways of just monitoring the domain that people uh, in in the security industry have said. Hey, any newly observed domain is always suspect. So number one, there are feeds. I know again, you're you're the th threat intel guy here. So you work with third parties and our own research team so that we can help identify newly observed domains that have just been recently created because that's one technique the bad guys use. They'll create a domain um, last minute or particularly when they're doing like fast flux or something like that where they're changing thousands of domains over a rapid period of time. Um, so there's the newly observed domains are a danger, but then there's the ones that they get created, like you said, and then they are parked for a long period of time. So there's the park domains that have been around for a while, but they're, I don't know, do we have like a newly used yeah. <laughs> field? Well, yeah, so so the, there's two different concepts inside of our product, depending on the type of feed that you go for. There's a, uh, you know, what we call a fresh feed, which is basically a newly registered domain. So this is, we're getting this straight out of the zone files. We're looking for people. The moment that something gets registered, it, it kind of goes into that list. And, and you know that, uh, that, you know, this thing hasn't been around long enough to garner a reputation. Uh, and often, like you said, they'll just get parked or maybe they'll even be parked with some uh, legitimate stuff on it to make it look okay. Uh, the other one is the the newly active, you know, or, or newly, uh, you know, basically newly observed domains. And that's, you know, like even if it was parked for 12 months, you know, the, the you know, we don't really put something on the newly observed domains until we actually see the first person actually hit it. So, even if it's been parked and nobody's going to it, it doesn't really matter to us. It's only when we actually see that site go live that it will show up on there. So both of these different feeds, you know, solve a slightly different problem, um, and you know, and you can you can use them sort of belt and suspenders, uh, you know, if you want, just to make sure that you're getting uh, getting what you want. Now another thing that that you'll see the adversaries do to try to get by both of them is they'll look for completely legitimate, high reputation domains. That just aren't being used anymore, and the owner lets them disappear. Uh, you know, they basically stop uh, renewing it. The website goes by, and they'll jump on that the moment that you know, <laughs> the moment that it becomes up for sale. They'll go ahead and they'll grab it, and then they'll start hosting something malicious on it, taking advantage of the fact that there might be a decade of legitimate business and you know, high reputation there. It just, you know, it wasn't a, a site that anybody was using anymore. And they'll be able to kind of piggyback on top of that high reputation. So, you know, seeing not just, you know, not just the brand new domains, but sometimes seeing the ancient domains uh, that have gone through a change of ownership. Uh, and so suddenly this thing is, is back in play and any reputation that you built up with that domain has to be re-questioned at that point. Well, and we've seen um, sites that they're actually not even retired. They're they're active, so to speak. But there are so many small, medium businesses that they 
create a website and they're done. They don't ever go back to it. And so yeah. they don't notice that because um, I remember um, a, a particular attack several years ago, we traced where the main payloads were coming from. And it was on a carpenter's site in Denmark um, that he'd set up this website. He had pictures of all of his work, you know, hey, come and, and, and hire me and all that. And here's my phone number and all that. But he didn't use the rest of the space that he was given as part of his basic license. So the bad guys had created some subdirectories and just stored all their malware there. Um, which, you know, if, if this was a, a business site and you were monitoring it and, oh, okay, he was a business site, <laughs> but yeah. if it was a, a managed business site, you'd notice that there were changes being made to it that you hadn't authorized it. Um, you know, the storage space was going down. Uh, it was getting a lot of hits that didn't make sense because nobody was going to the web page. They were just going directly to files. There was a lot of indicators that they could have had. But most people don't. It's like WordPress. WordPress is actually a very good platform. It's the people, the users who install it, create their own WordPress sites. They don't patch it. They don't monitor it. And they end up being uh, actually fairly dangerous sites um, if you know you can't trust the person using it. The, the WordPress solution works maybe, but not when the user doesn't use it right. So we've seen a lot of that. But let's and let's use that as our transition to the user side of this, because um, we used a couple examples of where people are going to a waterhole, uh, something that they trust and all of that. But there's let's, let's start with the typical death, disaster and drama, the emotional driven attack um, where um, there's probably clues visible. But the bad guys have learned over the years that just doing a fake Disney site. Uh, isn't going to be as successful because the people are relaxed and they're looking at everything and they're going to start noticing those indicators that it's not legit. But if you get people panicked, if you get them worried, if it's something that they're emotionally connected to, like again, the humanitarian stuff going on around Ukraine, a lot of people have lost a lot of money donating to basically fake websites. Um, you know, uh, what, what kind of guidance can we give to the user side of this? To uh, to protect themselves. Well, you know, and 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 you're absolutely number one. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a there's a category of uh, of adversary out there who absolutely doesn't want to let a good tragedy or humanitarian issue go without uh, taking advantage of it. And, uh, and so you'll you know, we saw you know even in advance of the ground invasion, um, you know, when things were sort of ramping up, we saw you know the email. Uh, you, know, you know, basically all the different attacks related to Ukraine suddenly start to spike, and it's it's continued really since then as well. We've uh, we've been monitoring things, and we can go into a little bit about what what we found. But you know, <clears throat> I think uh, we have a uh, we have a GitHub site where we're publishing. You know, we're basically open, open you know, opening all of the threat, threat intelligence that we're that we're garnering around the Ukraine uh, the this Ukraine incident. And uh, and we're open sourcing it. And right now, we've got over 800 indicators inside of the system of just different people trying to take advantage of it. So there's been this this you know, land grab of, of people trying to take advantage of, of this. What people can do, I mean, like obviously, I mean, unfortunately, there's not, you know, from a fortunate standpoint, there's not a lot of new technique that ends up uh, going into it. It really comes down to, <clears throat> pardon me, a couple of major different categories that. Have been tried and true for a long time. There's the the traditional, um, the uh, what is it, the, the Nigerian prince style, 
you know, where they're trying to get somebody to, uh, to, you know, to go in and, and basically upfront some money. They're like, basically like you, we've seen the Nigerian prince go to the Ukrainian oligarch that you know, some, some guy died, uh, you know, with millions of, of dollars worth of, you know, they needs to get out of the Ukraine and he needs to be able to help. And they're trying to get people in there. So basically, you know, uh, replaced Nigerian prince with Ukrainian oligarch, and and suddenly you've got all these different indicators there. Uh, you know, it's it's a matter of just being skeptical, and and that's the thing with specifically that entire scam is almost designed specifically. You're like you get different categories of of these types of frauds. Um, with the Nigerian prince style fraud, those are almost deliberately done uh, to a, a, you know, like where you'd look at this, you're like nobody you know, who's even thinking straight would, would ever click on this, but they do. And the reason they're done so poorly or sometimes they're done so amateurishly is they're trying to get people who who have no critical thinking skills whatsoever, they're, they're very gullible because they don't want anybody getting halfway through the process. And then suddenly it's like, hold it, this doesn't seem right. They want, you know, they want to make sure that you're as gullible as possible. So if you look at that email and, and it, you're uh, enough to be able to buy into it, Chances are they're going to be able to take you to the finish line, and they're going to be wasting their time with you. So that that's one. You're seeing uh, a degree of of, you know, of uh, fraud where you know, again they're just literally uh, soliciting for do uh, donations to to charities that just simply don't don't exist. And uh, you know, you know, fortunately with with uh, with what's going on in the Ukraine, there's lots of reputable uh, charities if you want to give. You know, seek them out. You know, don't expect that somebody, one of them, just ends up landing in your inbox that it's trustworthy. You know, trustworthy. So it's, uh, you know, that that's something you're like again. Just you know, look at everything with a skeptical eye with both of those. And then the final one is is kind of like the gift card scam. And they're trying to you know, they're trying to say, well, come in here. Uh, you know, donate some money. You'll be eligible for a gift card for such and such a thing. And you know they, they get two things. Number one, you go in there, you register, so they have your you know some additional cre uh, credentials that they can use, and then if they can get you to donate money to their fake charity, uh, you know then they've got that as well. So that's like a one, two, three punch. So really, what it ultimately comes down to is being as, as skeptical as possible when you're when you're seeing anything show up in unsolicited in your inbox. From our standpoint, a lot of these uh, you know a lot of these. Uh, new attacks are are a little bit tricky to to kind of tease out because they're not necessarily when you actually follow the links. There's nothing obviously malicious on the other end. I mean, like it's not like you're going there and they're delivering malware. They're trying to steal money from you. So how do you differentiate a legitimate site from being able to do that from a non-legitimate site? Uh, you know, somebody that's just trying to steal. And there's a number of different ways that we've been able to find. You know, luckily, you know, there's a there's a double-edged sword when it comes to uh, to cryptocurrencies now. That you know, uh, if if people have a tendency of, of reusing the same wallets from circumstances that you know were malicious over, you know, in this previous attack, and they're using the same wallet again, you can kind of see that, and you can like, yeah, this thing is brand new. We don't necessarily know anything about it, but the money that they're, they're soliciting is ending up going to a, a wallet that we know that was associated with a with previous crime that we've known about. You know, sometimes it's a matter of looking and, and seeing. Okay, so this new site that came up, it's being hosted on the same IP address as previously known, um, you know, malicious activity. So you know, we're we're able to still even with brand new uh, fraud sites, we're able to sort of tease those things out, and that's why we've been able to. 
to come back with over 800 indicators right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit more tricky than looking for something that is obviously malicious in intent. So keeping you know keeping those uh, you know, those indicators up, you know, we're doing a lot of hard work to try to identify them. You know, if you can you know have some have those incorporated in in some kind of a blocking mechanism, so that even if somebody inside of your network does click on that link and try to go there, you know, hopefully you're going to be able to block it before uh, any serious harm has been done. Well, I'm going to tie up a little bow on this because we're down to our last six minutes here because um, we've kind of bounced around a bit and I want to make sure the audience is catching this. So we talked a lot about on the consumer side, you get those mass consumer attacks, um, which again, 20 years ago, they tried to make it look as legitimate as possible and then found they were a lot of people saw it as a trick and um, would just play them along and they were wasting their time. So they, they introduced errors on the consumer side, again, like you said, to weed out the smart people. Um, yeah. And yeah. But on the uh, professional side, when we have, uh, you know, spear phishing, business email compromises, those still are highly accurate. They, tr matter of fact, they'll do their research and they'll refer to people that, you know, uh, we've seen somewhere even involved a business dealing, like a merger or acquisition that was semi-secret there, you know, but somehow they got in the, uh, wind of that and they leveraged that quickly. Um, yeah. And so the, the messages were, uh, very legitimate looking. Um, but at that point, you know, this is where, hey, if it sounds too good to be true, um, it probably is. Check things. So if you don't normally deal with the CEO issuing checks to uh, <laughs> accounts, you know, uh, at the last minute, you might not just take his email or his text, which they now do it over text. Call him. Give him a call. Double check. Uh, I don't think every, anybody ever got fired for uh, for double checking something to make sure that you you know company didn't lose a lot of money. Um, so we have that, you know, be aware that consumer versus professional attacks will, will have those differences. Um, we talked about vulnerabilities. Um, if your company's managing things, okay. Um, it's kind of up to them, but you still have a lot of your own apps and things like that. Make sure you're patching, make sure you get the updates. Um, we haven't talked about multi-factor authentication. That's kind of, again, you know, table stakes today. Um, yeah. make sure that you're doing that, particularly if you, again, you're going to trusted sites. If you get something, because uh, I talked to somebody who actually had been, they'd been breached and they traced it down to a user that when they go to use this particular tool that the company subscribed to, it normally authenticated you. But this time it didn't. The user said, great, IT fixed that. It made it smoother for me to get in. <laughs> and it was actually a hacker site. Um, so the patching, the being aware, um, and uh you know, the double checking. You also talked about um, the lookalikes, and I don't think we want to miss puny code. You want to talk about that? Uh, I can give you two minutes to talk about puny code. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, uh, puny code kind of goes back to you know, when we're starting to talk about uh, things like typo squatting or, or even uh, 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 yeah, uh, homographs and homoglyphs and things like that. Again, a lot of these are trying to take advantage of the fact that when you actually look at the domain itself, you know, it looks legitimate. It looks like Disney or it looks like, you know, whatever, you know, Google. Uh, but because it's swapping out, uh, you know, different character sets, uh, it's, it's you, know, it, 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 you know, literally is not a, the same domain that you thought it was. So Punicode is a way of being able to look at a domain name. And if there are swapping out different acrylic alphabets, it's actually, you're going to see that pretty obviously in there. It'll, you know, you'll suddenly, you know, instead of seeing Google, you'll see, G O and then you know uh, 
you know, like the, the pointer to another alphabet, you know, it's yeah, the XN dash dash and yeah. something like that, which I was doing some checking to see because the last time I looked at this was years ago and there was only like the big three browsers did it. But now it looks like most of your browsers today, if you just look at the URL line, they will decrypt and say that this is not actually the letter A. It is a Cyrillic A, which is XN dash dash. That's their symbol that says, I'm about to give you a puny code number. <laughs> and then they'll give you uh, an ASCII code for it. So we're, we're seeing... Um, now, do you see a lot of that? Or are people just going to more of the lookalike, um, you know, just with adding like Apple dash accounts yeah. receivable? It depends on, uh, you know, honestly, it really depends on the sophistication of the attacker. Uh, you know, the easiest one to do, you know, because it takes no thought whatsoever, is like if you're going to Apple dash accounts receivable, you know, like it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to try to figure out different things to add to the end of a domain and see if it's actually open. The one thing, you know, the good thing, you know, we keep on picking on Apple here. The, the good thing about Apple is the fact that it's... Uh, it's been such a big uh, a target that I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the most common ones are already taken. So the bad guys have gotten there already for you. But you know when you're you know, this is this is one thing I want to you know especially with some of our listeners out there, you know you may be in a really large environment and you have really great security uh, sort of built up around your perimeter, uh, and that's great except for the fact that you always have partners. And and the, there's an example that that Bob gave a little bit earlier on about that that carpenter. You know, if you're partnered with that carpenter and his site gets uh, compromised, he's a trusted partner of yours. You're going to be visiting his site. You know, it's not even a, a lookalike or anything. You're just not expecting that thing to be delivering malware to you. Um, again, you know, it's always important to not just you know, be protecting yourself, but also be you know looking at who the partners are because that's that's going to be the easiest point of entry for a bad guy who's trying to target you specifically. So. You know, uh, definitely a, a good piece of advice there. Yeah, well, with one minute left, you're introducing zero trust. Thank you very much. <laughs> we don't have time for that. <laughs> so anyhow, as usual, we've run out of time. Uh, but Drew, thank you for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. It's, it's always fun to be here. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time. And join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.